Dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know? Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence, and with me, as always, we're in his palatial basement right now it's not palatial it is very palatial <laughs> white socked out it is chris Tannehill. chris how are you doing tonight i'm doing great tonight herbie because uh we are talking to someone who you definitely know if you saw if you've ever seen the web series hot ones uh herb managed to wrangle sean evans the host of hot ones and hot ones the game show uh, you can catch it on Complex and the First We Feast YouTube channel and pretty much any meme you've seen uh, in the past, I don't know, calendar five years or so. Like there's you, you've I've, you've probably seen a Hot Ones meme out there. You got Paul Rudd, Shaq, Idris Elba. You know, you, you've, you've definitely seen Hot Ones even if you haven't seen it. But Sean Evans is a big time White Sox fan and you're going to hear our conversation with him in just a second. But you knew him from playing softball back in the day. But this is a guy that really knows his White Sox. Oh, yeah. We uh, met. It was the score team. It was me, Adam Harris, Dennis. Um, I believe the first time I ever met Shane Reardon was when we called out to get extra players. And so every time we would have troubles feeling a full 12-inch softball team, I was terrible at softball. You know, I thought I was good because I was an all-star. I was a kid for baseball and it's like oh maybe i'll just come out here and then adam harris comes out there catching everything in left field and dennis is pretty solid and connor mcknight was on the team he's pretty solid then i think z-pack was on the team but adam harris who went to university of illinois invited some of his friends and one of those friends was sean evans and you know i played with them and i was like man that guy's really good at uh, softball he's one of our best players Another guy they've uh, who they stayed friends with is Stephen Wilhelm, who's a Yankee fan, but he came out and played, and he was our best player. But Sean was right there with uh, Stephen Wilhelm, and I was like, man, he's a really good player. I would love to have him on the team for next year, and that didn't happen because Sean got really famous right after that <laughs> and went to New York and did this Hot Ones thing. I mean, so yeah, I when I saw him on camera for the first time, I was like, yeah third base guy he played with us i played softball <laughs> with a guy that's on tv now yes that's my claim to fame very famous i mean talking with the likes of pretty much anyone who's anyone in hollywood matthew mcconaughey scarlett johansson i mean i was watching the one with uh, mark calloway aka the undertaker the other night uh just anyone who's got anything to promote hot ones has become a media destination and uh, that's what we're striving to be here in my basement uh but yeah it was, it was a good conversation it's a two-part episode we kind of bounce around a little bit talk about his Sox fan history in this episode here and talk about what it's like to be a content creator and you know in the internet age and uh, just the, the the ridiculous success that the show has and he takes you behind the curtain a little bit to how the show's made and how his White Sox fandom has uh, has shaped his life a little bit and we'll we'll talk a lot of Sox with him in this interview as well but uh, here's our conversation with Sean Evans from Hot Ones. What's going on Sean how you doing? Good how are you guys doing? Thanks so much for having me. We're doing well, Sean. And uh, the last time I saw you, like in person, probably the only time, with the 
three or four times that you came out and played softball with us and uh, were dominant, dominant third baseman. Who knew that Sean Evans could play some uh, 12-inch softball so well? Yeah, I, I played a little uh, high school baseball. I played all the way through varsity, but I remember the 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 times out there at uh, Lincoln Park fondly. And uh, I know I told you guys before uh, before we started shooting, but Adam Harris, who was also on that team and a six seventy the score alum, uh, actually texted me today and he's like, "I heard you're doing the podcast, so uh, the appearance has already been worth it because it's been a long time since I got to catch up with Adam." Absolutely. So, what kind of softball player was Herb? Do you remember oh. at all? Oh. <laughs> Did- Herb, <laughs> Herb is uh he's a big lump big lumber uh type uh power hitter uh just uh the guy a guy you need to round out your softball team Every there team you go yeah we brought sean and uh, adam invited him and uh, another gentleman out because they're actually good players and they're ringers we didn't have enough players and i don't know if sean was there the day the guy just hit me with the ball in the face at second base when he's trying to turn a double play but uh yeah, Sean was great. Another guy named Stephen Wilhelm was great. Uh, Shane was on that team. Shane Reardon okay. was on that team. So we had some good times there at the Lincoln Park Fields. I don't know if we were that good, but I know Sean was really good back then. So, um, yeah, that was the last time I really saw you. Then Since then, you've moved to New York. A lot and, has changed. Huh? A lot has changed. Yeah, a lot of things have changed, and you have made it to the big time. But we want to get to your origins. This is the White Sox show. How does a Sean Evans out there in the northern northwest suburbs become a White Sox fan? How? What's your origin story there? So uh, I think you are whatever your dad is. And my dad's parents grew up on the south side. So he grew up a big White Sox fan. And then therefore, I was a White Sox fan. And then my first memory of the White Sox, it's actually one of my earliest memories of my entire life. And I must have been four years old. It was at the old Comiskey Park. That was the first game that I ever went to. And I remember vividly because it was bat day. It's one of my earliest core memories. And I remember just like when you walk into a grocery store and you see all the produce on those stacks, (laughs) you walk in the old Comiskey Park and they just had bats, bats all over the place. And that bat to this day is probably still in my garage. We used it playing backyard baseball growing up because with that little wooden bat, if you hit it across two yards, that was the home run. And it was a good way to put like kind of a guardrail on the game to make sure we weren't just like smashing tennis balls all over the neighborhood. And the interesting thing about that game, it was in April of 1990. I remember that because that was on the bat. And again, this bat is probably still in my dad's garage. But what was interesting about that game was they were playing the Yankees and I can't remember who was pitching, but the pitcher for the Yankees threw a no hitter and lost Andy Hawkins. Yeah. That was at that game. That was the first (laughs) game that I was ever at. Jesus. He threw a no hitter and lost four to zero. And I think after that major league baseball changed the rule to like, if you're going to throw a no hitter, you have to throw nine innings. Cause you know, obviously he'd only thrown eight and a loss like that. But uh, yeah, that was the most, that was my earliest White Sox memory. And then from there, it just like, you know, turned into a passion for me and and the team that I ride or die with for better or worse, more than any other team. And I remember like the half off price games on Tuesdays back when like Jose Valentin was playing, was <laughs> playing shorts. I, I remember all of those times and me and my buddies going out there and, and seeing all those classic games. I remember, you know, the World Series game in 05 vividly. And, and it's interesting how 
kind of the my life has been paced out by the roller coaster ride that it is to be a White Sox fan. So who are your favorite players growing up? Obviously, you're around the same age as us. So a lot of people would say Frank Thomas, Robin Ventura. But, uh, you know, who were some of your favorite guys that you went out to the ballpark specifically to see? Well, I, I loved uh, Mark Burley. He's probably my favorite White Sox player of all time. Uh, Frank Thomas. I remember I had the big hurt cleats in Little League and the poster on my wall growing up. I remember there was actually this amazing poster that I think was a promo at a game. And they were in suits. And it was like the good guys wear black thing. And it was Robin <laughs> Ventura, Albert Bell, and Frank Thomas, like walking through an alleyway in those suits with like an explosion and like toppled cars behind them. Uh, but Mark Burley, Frank Thomas, I'll just do like a top five, like a Mount Rushmore. Uh, yeah, Mark Burley, Frank Thomas, uh, Aaron Rowand oh, was a awesome. big time favorite of mine, just like a nails type outfielder that I love to watch play. Uh Bobby Jenks, obviously. And then it's it's tough because I don't think like I think Jose Abreu kind of has to be in your top five, you know, even though those memories of 05 or whatever probably dominate or being a little league kid in the 90s. You want to say names like Ventura or Jack McDowell or Bobby Thigpen or uh, <laughs> Ozzie Guillen, you know, Ray Durham. I loved Lance Johnson was my first favorite player. But um, I think now it'd be Abreu. Burley, Thomas, Rowand, and uh, maybe like Pesednik, actually. Scott Pesednik, I love too. Okay. And speaking of Mark Burley, we just had uh, Joe Colley on talking about why he voted for Mark Burley for the Hall of Fame. This is his first year he's eligible for the Hall of Fame. Do you think he is a Hall of Famer? And how would you vote in that regard? I know that you got to be objective in that regard. As a Sox fan, it's hard to do that. Mark Burley, Hall of Famer. Yeah, okay, let me talk it out. Let me talk it out <laughs> yeah. since you guys are coming swinging right away. But I always <laughs> thought the, the thing about Mark Burley that was so amazing was how consistent he was and how nails he was and how prolific he was. He was always going to stack 200 innings every single time. Um, he is a blue collar player that White Sox fans are really drawn to because, you know, he's topping out at like 89 miles per hour, but then just still winning games and winning games on some mediocre teams too. So, you know, in my mind, if you crunch the numbers, probably not, but listen, if I'm voting, I'm checking a box for Mark Burley. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, we have just a, a bias. I think it's impossible for us to be like, Oh no way. No. So we'll always like talk ourselves into thinking Mark Burley hall of famer easily. I think he eventually gets in. Um, I think the veterans committee will get him in much later on. You know, I think he may stay on the ballot though. Like talking to some of the guys that we've talked to Herb, like I think enough people voted for him where he'll be on the ballot next year again. So hopefully eventually we'll see, uh, see him get in, but we should note that the holidays, special for hot ones is on youtube right now and i was watching it last night and you can actually uh they you guys have teamed up with uh common threads for a really great cause you can go on the youtube page and donate common threads is an organization that provides children and families with nutritional information that creates good eating habits and ultimately leads to total uh mental and physical well-being so you can donate there when you're checking out the show uh 13th season officially a wrap with the daniel radcliffe or there's some more in, in the in the hopper for season 13 or what 13 season 13 is a wrap uh we're gonna take a little break for the holidays we have you know some stuff that will churn out uh during this break but with hot ones the breaks are so small so you know we'll probably just take a quick pause for like the next week or two and then get right back up to shooting season 14 at the top of the year so 
Uh, like to me, this time, like literally this time, like the Monday, December 14th, where it's like the Monday in the last two weeks before December, that is my finish line every year. And I am, I'm basking in it right now. I'm loving it right now, but, uh, it, it always just, the, the, the truck starts right up again, uh, as soon as it ends, but these two weeks I kind of have off. So it's, it's nice. I'm going to take it back a little bit. This is uh, season one, episode two, when you had Anthony Rizzo on the show. And this is where we knew you were a, a real one here. So I do want to start my plug by shouting out Anthony Rizzo, but, oh gosh, what are you doing? I would like to say big up my Chicago White Sox, shout out Jose Abreu the best first baseman in Chicago. And then Sean reveals his White Sox jersey under his hoodie, and that take aged incredibly well with Jose Abreu winning the MVP award this year. Uh, but ultimately, what we're getting around to here is what will it take for you guys to get a current White Sox player on Hot Ones? Well, I know I, I'm actually, I've kind of started up a, a little bit of a friendship with Lucas Giolito. He's a big Perfect. Hot Ones fan, oh. and um, I sent him a bunch of sauces last year, like he wanted to do the lineup, so I sent a bunch of sauces uh, over to his place. And we've kept in touch. I was so proud of him throwing that no-hitter and, and reached out to him then. And we've chatted a little bit in the time since. We just had this, like, Reebok collab. I sent some sneakers to his house. So uh, I made a deal with Lucas. Cy Young or White Sox win a World Series, Lucas Giolito in the hot seat. Uh, that's a deal that we've made with each other. So, I mean, that's I think that's what it takes. But then at the same time, I think that there are a lot of White Sox that have uh, a real sort of internet appeal, you know, like Tim Anderson, especially is somebody who can move the needle for somebody who's not a white Sox specific fan, you know? Um, so he would be an interesting interview as well, but that's, what's exciting about this team is I think that there are a lot of guys that have major crossover appeal, which is something that we've been waiting on for probably way too long. Now I've seen you, at a Cubs game, throwing out the first pitch at Wrigley, gave you a, a jersey. People who uh, saw that when I uh, promoted this uh, interview were like, ah, he wore the Cubs uniform. He can't be on. I haven't <laughs> seen you. That? A lot of dicks. There's a lot of dickhead Sox fans out here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I haven't seen you in a White Sox uniform at U.S. Cellular, guaranteed rate, throwing out the first pitch. Maybe I'm wrong. Have they invited you, and why not if they haven't? Yeah, I mean, I was I was actually going to do it this year, obviously, with the COVID thing that all fell through. But um, uh, the relationship with the White Sox is pretty good. They've never like, you know, obviously I threw out that pitch at the Cubs game. Um, but the White Sox have always been good to me. Like uh, if I if I'm in town or whatever and, and reach out, uh, I get some get some tickets and usually some pretty nice seats. So uh, and obviously, um, you know, having a little contact with Lucas Giolito there uh has helped but the white but I think that if you know if we didn't have the COVID season I would have thrown one out for the White Sox which has been like such a bucket list moment for me but if I can speak to being on like both sides of the fence so when I was a kid obviously I grew up in the northwest suburbs all of my friends were Cubs fans it was so annoying and then you have that chip on your shoulder automatically as a White Sox fan where you're like F the Cubs but um I think as I've gotten older uh, you know, that it, I'm not, I'm not eight years old anymore. I don't get like worked <laughs> up about it. And then on the other side of it, you can't, you, you could be the, the just 
the bleed black White Sox fan, whatever it is, you cannot deny that Wrigley Field during the game is the best viewer experience, the best spectator experience that you can have as a baseball fan. So in my, you know, and I've spent a lot of time in those bleachers. I've had birthday parties in those bleachers. I used to live a couple blocks away from Wrigley Field. And, uh, you know, and, and I'll say this too, during that World Series run, they were a fun team. They were an easy team to like and a fun team to root for. Um, and, uh, so, you know, if they invite me to throw a first pitch, I'm not going to be like, Oh no, I'm a white Sox. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not throwing out that first pitch at Wrigley field. Forget you. <laughs> like at this point, I'm a white Sox fan. I root for the white Sox. When I was a little kid, I rooted against the Cubs at this point in my life. What's good for Chicago is good for Chicago. Yeah. And I got to disagree with you a little bit. I love Wrigley. It's a great atmosphere, but I don't really like the ballpark necessarily as the 17 I've been to. I put it in the middle somewhere. From the seats, I think it's probably the best aesthetic. From the seats, unless you're behind a pole. But yeah. once you get up from your seat, it's it's tough sledding. Yeah, and you have to go to pee or something like that and get a 12-hour beer. But I don't know if you've ever been to PNC or Petco or Oracle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those are like, mm, and, and that's not even guaranteed rate. I just like the food and the drink at guaranteed rate. The ballpark overall is just yeah, meh. But yeah, yeah, I, but it's so it's so nostalgic. Guaranteed rate oh yeah. is so nostalgic for me. Like, um, and it, just the smell of it, you know, it just is one of those things. Like, uh, like food that takes you back, or a song that takes you back. That that stadium is so special to me that you know I miss it so much. And and every time I'm back in Chicago, which is maybe once or twice a summer, I definitely catch that Sox game. What's your item? What's your item? You got to get when you get it uh, guaranteed rate, food wise. Well, you know, it's just the the onions draw me. The mm. onions draw me. So I get Italian sausage with the diced onions on there. And then what has just been kind of a wave in Major League Baseball just in general is there has been like a real sort of like culinary and craft beer movement that has swept not just guaranteed rate, but like every stadium where you can go in. Like when you go to the like the last time I was at a Cubs game, I had like a hot Doug's hot dog. Yeah, instead of know, field, which yeah. is amazing. Or, you know, there are times where like sometimes the 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 Mets around here they'll have a thing where people will go to the game and stand in line for like the specialty burger or like whatever's coming out like now I think that there is like a real for sort of like food culture baseball fan fusion that's going on at stadiums like all across the country but I will say this the food at guaranteed rate bangs the beer at guaranteed rate bangs like uh you know where People may sort of say it's like a Met and sort of the stadium aesthetic, sort of historical aesthetic that you'd expect from like a classic baseball stadium. It does make up for in, in a lot of the uh, in a lot of the concessions or like the fun things that they have going on or how much cheaper parking is, for example. We'll be back with more from Sean Evans from Hot Ones after a quick timeout. Taking it back a little bit, you know, you talked about you're growing up and you're born in Evanston, right? Yep. I grew up and I was born in Rogers Park, so I think there were some similarities there with all your friends being Cub fans, and my dad was a big Sox fan, so that's how I got into them. But take me back a little bit. You know, you were a copywriter, and then you get the call from Complex, and you, that had to have been, what, in your late 20s, where all of a sudden you're... Yeah, probably mid-20s. So, yeah, so what I was doing is I was working for Choose Chicago, which is like the city's tourism agency, and just writing like out of market advertising copy on like a low level. So if like you walk onto um, the L train or whatever, and you see like 
a picture of a, a moose and it's like visit Canada or whatever. <laughs> I was kind of doing that sort of out of market tourism advertising for the city of Chicago and people there were nice. It was, an, it was like a fine enough job, but uh, it wasn't like my eye of the tiger thing. Like I was eating lunch with like moms in their forties and stuff like that. Like it didn't feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing for the rest of my life. And if this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life, where did I go wrong sort of thing? Like that was kind of what was in my head. So what I would do is I'd just take like freelance, uh, freelance magazine articles, sort of like interview one-off assignments, like at large. So if, if they needed an interview with a Chicago chef or an athlete or a Chicago rapper, I would do those interviews. And, uh, you know, I was super busy kind of like spinning plates like that. But then one day I was, uh, doing, an assignment at all-star weekend in new Orleans in 2014 and had interviews with John wall and Snoop Dogg and all of these different Damian Lillard and all these different athletes. And they were like, well, you know, we're pivoting to video. Everybody's doing video. Now we just started a YouTube page. Would you mind if we put these interviews on camera? And I was like, yes, please do. Because if I can have a two chains interview on YouTube, it'll be like the best thing that's ever happened in my like pathetic career so far. So please, please bring the cameras. Like, this is awesome. And I'm like, telling all my friends about it and can't wait to do this and waiting up all night doing flashcards, super nervous for like a five minute sit down with two chains about his new Adidas sneaker or whatever. And uh, apparently complex, like the videos enough to offer me a full-time job. So quit my job in Chicago, sold all my stuff, got rid of my apartment. And 30 days later, I was in New York and that was, that'll be seven years in April. So yeah, that's kind of how that all went down. It's the weirdest thing in the world. When I do watch the hot ones episodes, you're a white dude from the suburbs <laughs> and went to U of I I'm black dude. I'm like, Hmm, that man is talking to Tanache like he's like he knows her. Man's out here with Thundercat, like, man, he's really got something. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I know you guys do a lot of research, but it seems like it's not research necessarily. It's like you know the shit already, and it just comes out in the interview. How did that develop? Well, you know, it's pop culture offerings, whether they're like movies or music or. TV shows or books or whatever. I've always been like, I feel dialed in on some level. I think I've always had a taste. I've always been interested in things and then really immerse myself in the things that I'm interested in. Uh, but then there is a lot of research that goes along with it. So I feel like I've always been in that pop culture niche and always been interested in it and always rode for it, but I never thought I'd have a chicken wing talk show <laughs> where I could dissect and unpackage all of these different things but i do think it is what i'm supposed to be doing you know i really feel like i'm doing what i'm supposed to be doing and something that i've always been chasing for a long time super grateful that i get to do it um but to you know there is a lot of research involved and and if we have a week to get to know somebody i'll walk a mile in their shoes i'll read their books i'll watch their movies i'll listen to their music i'll i'll, I'll track down the local regional newspaper profiles that were writing about them when they were first coming up or like find those articles and whatever college they went to in the campus newspaper, all of these things that would have been telling their early story and, and just trying to like walk a mile in their shoes. And I think it is that sort of general curiosity that's keep, that's kept it fresh for me and has allowed the show for 
to last whatever, you know, five plus years, a couple hundred episodes, 13 seasons and beyond. But I think it's just, I just really enjoy and love that process. So I guess that's part of, uh, I guess, where, how would you answer this question? But if someone, you know, we live in the age where everyone wants to be, you know, media personality, influencer, what's your advice to someone that's looking to create content on a full-time basis? You sound like you're a you know, meticulous preparer, which definitely, you know, obviously helps, but what other advice would you give to someone who's looking to maybe do something similar to what you're doing now? I, I think that number one, you know, uh, the barriers to entry aren't what they used to be. So if there's something that you want to do, you can just start doing it. And honestly, that's how a lot of people get discovered nowadays or how a lot of people get their stuff up. Like we've interviewed um, Abby and Alana from Broad City. And I've talked to Adam Devine from uh, Adam Devine from uh, Workaholics or Issa Rae um, from Insecure. And the same thing is is true with all of them where they had internet shows that were not sophisticated, that were extremely low budget, but they just had a thing that they wanted to do. They started making it, they put it out, and then these networks find this stuff, pour gas on it, and then it becomes a thing. So I think that that's the first thing is that no one's standing in your way. You don't need somebody to discover you. So just start doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing or that you think that you're supposed to be doing. But then the other side of it is that I think like if there's one thing that you could say about me is that you know, Hot Ones is my show, but I never make it like the Sean show. It's not the, you're not going on a Sean ride every time. Like, I think the way that it stayed fresh is that the viewer experience becomes an extension of the guest's personality. So I think that that's another important thing too, is that a lot of people just want to do something because they feel like they want I don't know, like uh, like fame or they want to make money or they want to be recognized or all of these different things. I've, I've never done this show for those reasons. I've always done it because this is the, these are the things I want to explore. And I feel like I have something to offer. And then I package a thing that I'm kind of patient with and hands off with and kind of allow the viewer to go on this ride with the guest. And I think that that's my style as an interviewer, but I think that's a problem when people just want to do it for those shallow or superficial reasons unless you're that funny or like that talented or that smart you're never gonna break through and then the competition is so crazy that it's like impossible to break through anyway so i think do it because you care about it do it because you love it and then do it because you can i think those things all align and take it seriously and never take it for granted and the other thing that i would say is that like no one cares about you. Nobody is going to take you and exalt you just because you are you. Like people have problems in the world. That's it. And you have to be a problem solver. So if somebody has a problem and they give you a like if somebody has a problem, they give it to you to solve and then you exceed their expectations, they'll give you another problem to solve. They'll give you another problem to solve. And as long as you just keep doing that, you'll have problems to solve. And when you can solve problems, you have a job. And then when you solve enough problems, eventually you start having problems that then you need solved. And then you have to find those people to do those things. So whenever you get an opportunity, because you cannot control the opportunities that you're going to get, but as cliche as it is, you can control what you're going to do with those opportunities. To make a baseball analogy on the White Sox podcast, you know, when you get called up to pinch hit, you got to hit a double. And then they'll ask you to pinch hit again you strike out if you strike out you know they're not going to ask you to pinch hit anymore so those things do your thing and uh 
And when somebody gives you an opportunity, you, you better make the most of it. Very you better to- just execute. Very topical because Jeremy Mercedes struck out his first uh, pinch hit opportunity. Then he was sent down, never to be seen again. I was going to say a White Sox example would be you fail time and time again and you're brought back years later for <laughs> a reason that no one really knows. Um, right. But yeah. And what I wanted to ask you is like we started this podcast and um, we had no you know, beef with anybody, everybody in the White Sox community, blogosphere, uh, White Sox nation embraced us. They said, hey, we appreciate you guys from 670 to score. We're going to embrace you. We're not even though we've been doing this for years and it seems like you guys are getting some shine. It's fine. We love what you're doing. I want to ask you, you came onto the scene as a guy that was a relative unknown. And I wonder about the guys, the OGs, the OG girls who've been doing hot sauce and eating hot things for years. Were you embraced by these people? Or was there a lot of hater? I think, well, in the hot sauce community, if I go to a hot sauce expo, I have tons of friends. I have, so I have, I have helped sell a lot of hot sauce over the last couple of years. So like if you are a hot, a craft hot sauce maker, I get lots of hugs whenever mm-hmm. I go out to some of these different places. And then but I don't think I've had any, you know, I'm sure at this point, like people, you know, I'm sure I have peers or whatever that might say things behind my back or something. I don't hear about that so, so much. And then obviously I would, I live and exist and have a show on the internet. So I'm sure that there, you know, I could, you know, fill a binder with like mean things that have been said to me or about me over the years. But um, overall, I think uh, in the hot sauce space, I feel like I'm mostly untouched or I haven't had any problems with anybody. Uh, same with the interviewer space. I haven't had any dusts up with anybody or anything like that. It's been a, it's been a mostly be free existence so far. And uh, I'm trying to keep it that way. I'm not built for like the smoke. Okay. So <laughs> we're about, we're like halfway into us and let's get into it now. You know, you, you mentioned chicken wings and the hot sauce. So if, when you're back home in Chicago, what's your favorite place to go to get wings? So, I mean, for me, listen, if I'm off the clock, I'm not getting wings. You know, I've eaten thousands, literally thousands. I was going to ask, do you, like, when you're done with a taping, do you just go, oh, I can't stand another chicken wing, please? No, like, at, at, um, at a Super Bowl party, like, you will never catch me eating wings. You will never catch me ordering wings. And then that's what's kind of been funny about this job is, like, people text me and, like, Yo, I'm in San Francisco. Where's the best place to get wings? Yo, I'm in Austin, Texas. Where's the best place to get wings? Like I have this encyclopedic knowledge of wings or whatever, but if I'm not on the show, I'm not eating wings, but I do remember, uh, what's that spot? Tunes? Tunes, yeah. I think. Yeah. Has yeah. Yeah. Pretty Absolutely. good wings, yeah. if I recall correctly. Uh, so I'll, I'll go with tunes, but, but, uh, but believe me, Chris, like when I'm off the clock, you'll never catch me cleaning a wing. That's what I figured. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just wondering, like, when you are in Chicago, I mean, there's probably family, friends who want to see you. Are you stealing away and going to a White Sox game? You said you get tickets. Do you like, is this part of your itinerary or are you just like, mm, if I get it, I get it. If I don't, cool, I'm fine with it. No, it's definitely part of the itinerary. And, you know, I tried to take my dad and my brother to the game and it's it's always a part of it. You know, the other thing that I miss is growing up in Evanston. I obviously went to U of I, but like, I remember so many Saturdays we would go to Northwestern games at Ryan field and, and go to Hackney's afterwards and get yeah. the onion brick and, and do all that. You know, I, I miss that stuff. 
so much. And, and, you know, it's been a tough year to be a sports fan because obviously I haven't been able to do those things, but I try to do those things ritualistically, you know, go to the Northwestern game in the fall uh, with my family, if I can get into town, which is sometimes hard with our schedule. And then every summer take my dad and my brother to a game at guaranteed rate. You know, you've had so many guests and you mentioned the, the tough year this year. It's been weird. You guys have been doing the, the hot ones virtually. What have been some of the challenges or things that you didn't expect? Obviously the inherent problem with not being in the same room with someone, but what are some of the things that, that have made you pursue it differently this year with uh, the virtual uh, hot ones episode in 2020? Well, the way that we do this show is through traveling. Like we just pop up to all these different cities all over the, all over the place. So in a given season, We'll shoot an episode in Miami, then fly back to New York and then shoot in L.A. And then maybe we're in like Phoenix, Arizona, and then maybe we're in London. You know, like we just bounce around, which obviously we can't do anymore. Plus, I think a lot of like, you know, and that's been shut down on every talk show and and everything. It's not really a choice that we have. All these studios and networks have liability. And then, you know, you have guests who probably don't want to deal with the potential PR backlash of violating any sort of social distancing thing. So you have all those factors at play that make doing the show as we typically do it completely untenable. But some of the things that have been interesting about it, um, or at least that I've noticed is first off, people think like, oh, it must be easier to book because you can just do it uh, remotely or whatever. But no, it's been the exact opposite. There've been so many movies and shows and premieres and books like all push, 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 push. So the people who are in a potential like promo cycle or have any availability, that pond has so few fish in it. So that's been hard. And then on top of that, people are so flaky during Mm -hmm. this whole thing. You know, they're not on the rounds with their publicist holding their hand from place to place. So we've had so many people just cancel on us day of, or like minute of, you know, like where we're just waiting for the other person to come in on the zoom, can't get a hold of them, calling record labels, calling agents. Yo, where is this person? Where is this person? Oh, they can't do it. Can they do it tomorrow? Uh, no, no, they're sick or whatever. You get these like sorts of excuses, but that's such a pain in the ass for us because first off we have so much, uh, prep that we do for interviews but then the other complicated thing is that we have to sell or we have to send these sauces all over the place to as far away as australia we sent sauces to new zealand so like if somebody cancels on the spot and you're banking on that episode for next thursday's episode and then they just don't show up all right not only do we have to find somebody else now we try to have to book somebody on 48 hours Mm. we also have to get them sauces you know we have to like slam all this together plus nobody that you're pitching wants to hear that they're like a fill-in for somebody (laughs) that canceled last second so you need this like right away when they're like why do you need an answer so quickly so it has been such a miserable experience trying to do this show but uh hopefully or at least it seems that it may be returning the corner on this sort of thing i could i could imagine excuse me undertaker please can you turn the bottles so they're facing the camera please like it's just a whole clunky process you know (laughs) plus like everybody has like a different kind of setup you never know what you're gonna get like some people just be doing this thing like on an ipad ipad that they're like holding up they're like all right you know like it's just shaky all the time yeah yeah, you just do what you can do to make it make it happen but i guess the sort of the silver lining of it all is that they've been like crazy episodes because we can't quality control how much sauce people are putting on so people are just dumping bottles of sauce all over their wings so they've been like crazy reaction episodes and there is something kind of like nice and charming about being in all these people's homes during this thing like it's just uh 
it's it's part of our show's history. Like the COVID era is definitely like an era of hot ones. That's part one of our conversation with Sean Evans from Hot Ones, and uh, it's a lot of fun. There's part two that we're going to drop tomorrow, but let you guys know here, NBA fans, check this out. The Locked on NBA podcast is getting you ready for the start of the regular season with a special week of team preview podcasts all this week, plus waiver wire editions for Locked on Fantasy Basketball and rookies to watch from our draft guru, Chad Ford. I'll be turning into our guys Matt Peck, Jordan Malley, Locked On Bulls. They do an awesome job. Subscribe today to Locked On NBA wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, that does it for part one of the Sean Evans interview, Herbie. That's all I got tonight. So that is Chris Tannehill. Follow him on Twitter at Chris Tannehill. Me, Herb Lawrence, Ecknerwall23 is the way you follow me at Twitter. The show is at Locked On Socks. And if you want to participate in our Mailbag Monday, talk to us Tuesday Send an email to LockedOnSocks at gmail.com, LockedOnSocks at gmail.com, and be listening out for tomorrow's episode where we continue this conversation with Sean Evans from Hot Ones. So, for Chris Tannehill, my name is Herb Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this episode of Locked On Socks.